This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Basically, chapter 51, 52, and 53, the last three chapters of Tanya, the Rebbe is explaining the whole concept of Shekhinah, when we say God is present, that the place is holy because God rests, God is present, like in the temple. The temple is holy because the Shekhinah is present. And the question is, God is everywhere. What do you mean God is only present in the temple? God is everywhere. There's no place empty of God. So what makes one place holy? Holier, holier than another place. And he used the analogy of the human body, our own personal experience. This is the soul, the life force, the energy. The soul makes contact with the body, and the body comes alive. But there are different levels. On one hand, you have Every single cell in the body is equally alive. All 100 trillion cells in the body are equally alive. <laughs> There's no difference in the brain and the toenail. Every part of you is alive. So that's like the essence of the soul. That's just by contact. The body comes in contact with the soul. The body comes alive. Every point of the body is equally alive. There's no difference in the greatest, the smallest, the brain cells, the simple cells. So this is the life force that we can't grasp. You know, this is just the essence that we're alive. You know, we can't even grasp. So too you have the essence of God. The essence of God completely transcends not only our grasp, but the grasp of even the highest worlds, the highest realms, the highest levels of consciousness, the angels. No one can grasp God. On the other hand, there is no part of the universe that's a contradiction to God. Just like the soul is equally found in the toenail, just like it's found in the brain. So the essence of God is found equally inaccessible and found equally in the physical, coarse, material world that we live in, the tangible world, just like he's found in the spiritual realm and the higher realm. Then you have the way every organ has a different energy, a unique energy. So this is how the soul manifests itself on a, on a conscious level. You feel you're alive because you're walking, because you're talking, because you're thinking, because you're acting, you're doing, eating. you're eating, you're speaking, whatever you're doing. You're feeling, you're comprehending, you're alive because you're alive, you're, you're busy, you're doing things. You're What's about sleeping? <laughs> oh. Very good, very good. When you sleep, you're not conscious, right? Sleep is like a 60th of death. 
So that's a conscious life where every organ has its own unique ability and you feel alive because of the individual act- activity that you're doing. You're thinking and speaking, and acting, and seeing and hearing and understanding and feeling, etc. But that's a very limited energy. You know, that's the way the soul animates every organ in the body. Every organ in the body has its own particular energy. The brain comprehends. The brain doesn't feel. The heart feels. When you're excited, your heart is pumping. Your heart feels. You're attracted. You're repulsed. You're drawn. You run away. You love. You hate. That's the heart. It's in the heart, and it's not in the eyes. The eye sees. The ear hears. Every organ has its own unique particular energy. So that's the conscious level of life, and that's the way the energy of the soul is already diffused and differentiated through each individual organ. And so, too, you have the way God fills all the worlds. God creates every individual entity, every individual creature has its own unique characteristic trait, its own existence, its own personality, its own nature. And there's such a variety, there's such a variety of existence within, within each species. You have so much, so much variety and, you know, it's almost like infinite variety. And then, so everything that exists in the universe, in the material world, angels, there are infinite amount of angels. Every angel, every creation, every creature has its own energy, its own unique differentiated energy. Now, Getting back to the soul, all of these different energies come from the soul. Who is thinking? And who is seeing? And who is hearing? And who is walking and who is talking? It's the soul. What happens, God forbid, when the soul leaves, suddenly, boom, all the cells shut down. Body is a corpse. You have brains, it's a corpse, a piece of clay. There's nothing there. There's no thinking and there's no speaking. Because you can't... Because who is thinking and who is speaking and who is feeling and who is understanding? It was the soul. The soul is one entity. The soul is one. The soul is not a machine that's made up of different pieces, a different part, like a Lego. Okay, there's a piece called seeing and there's a piece called hearing. There's a piece called, called uh, speaking. There's a piece called comprehending, there's a piece called feeling. No, that's not, that's not the soul. The soul is one entity. It's not parts. It contains within it all these different abilities. But with these abilities are all part of one entity, one soul. The same soul has the ability simultaneously to think and to speak and to do that. Simultaneously. But we don't experience you know, every organ has its own unique feel. You feel your energy. You feel you're alive. But then there is a, a sense where you feel, like a general sense, I, I am alive. Not because you're, you're talking or you're walking or you're thinking. For example, the moment you wake up in the morning. The first moment you wake up in the morning. You haven't done anything. You're not thinking. You're not speaking. You're not doing anything. You just woke up. You don't have to look yourself in the mirror to know that you're there. 
You don't have to hear yourself singing in the shower to know you're there. You just woke up. I. Who is that I? You're not doing anything. Yes. That I is not a specific detail. It's a sense. I, I am alive. That I is, is undefined. It's not a specific part of you. It's, it's you. It's the whole you. That whole sense of I that transcends the details, the individual, and everything really flows from that one I. It's the same soul that's thinking and speaking and doing. But when you're speaking and thinking and doing, you don't sense that one. You see different, different parts of you. Part of you is thinking, and then a part of you is walking, and part of you is talking, part of you is different parts. And that's how you feel alive. I'm alive because I'm doing all these activities. But you don't sense that whole. But there's a deeper sense where you sense that whole. And the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. And the details, the parts, flow from that whole. And is connected to that whole. Because who is thinking and who is talking and who is walking? It's, it's your soul. It's, it didn't leave your soul. It's part of your soul. But who senses that whole? Where, which part of the body senses that whole? That's the brain. The brain. The brain, in addition to being one individual organ, the most delicate organ in the body, the most complex, and that receives the most delicate abilities of the soul, it has the ability to be creative, and has the ability to comprehend, to be analytical, and has the ability to internalize and to integrate, and to make decisions. Besides all of that, the brain plays a far more general role. The brain senses the whole. This general sense of I, this general sense of being, existence. This comes from the brain. Now, when the brain senses this whole, again, what are we talking about here? We're not talking about the essence of the soul. Because the essence of the soul is beyond even this general sense. The essence of the soul is something that totally transcends, you know, that animates every cell in the body. All 100 trillion cells come alive just by the mere contact of the soul in the body. When the soul enters the body, every part of the body comes alive. That's completely beyond your comprehension, beyond your sense. But when you say that the brain senses the whole, what we mean is that the brain senses the whole that's connected to the individual organs. In other words, all these activities that we, do, you know, we are conscious of, thinking and speaking and doing and feeling and understanding and, and seeing and hearing, all of these abilities first are part of a whole. And there's this one dynamic entity and one dynamic energy, all contained in this one dynamic sense. And from there, it like branches off and it flows. This is like the sun, and the sun gives off light into each individual organ. So this general sense, this is where we sense the whole, the whole of all these individual abilities of the soul, where first they're all concentrated as one, as sensed in the brain, this is what he calls the Shekhinah. The Shekhinah 
equivalent because we are created in the image of God. So from my own personal experience, we are the microcosm. We can understand the same is true with God. God is the macro, the world is a microcosm and God is the soul of the world. So too, you have all this concentrated energy which with God creates each individual world with all its infinite variety of creatures and created beings and entities with all its natures and characteristic traits and all of this differentiated energy is first in, in a revealed in a concentrated form where it's all concentrated together as one because it's alive the world is alive yes it appears to be a multiplicity of things just like the body it appears to be a multiplicity you're walking and you're talking and you're seeing and you're hearing but the truth is, it's all one soul. The same soul is seeing and hearing and talking and walking and thinking and understanding. It's only one entity. So this world appears to be separated and differentiated. There's so many creatures and such a variety. But the right way to look at this world is there's only one. There's one soul. There's only one God. There's only one reality. It's the same God that's giving energy into the blade of grass, into the tree, into the animal, into the human being, into the stone. There's only one reality. There's only one soul. There's only one energy. We don't see that energy, so the world appears to be to us very fragmented, but the reality is there's only one soul. But just like in the human soul, although the human, we feel alive because we feel we're active, and the brain is active, and the heart is active, and the eyes are active, and the ears are active, and the nose is active, every part of us is active, and we feel alive, but we realize that it's not differentiated, it's not diverse, it's really one entity, one reality. So too, although we see the different energy and everything has its own individual, particular energy that it's able to receive and absorb and internalize and sense. And you see that the world is so alive, but you realize only one reality is one soul. It's only one God. It's all coming from one reality. And just like within the human soul, how is it first revealed? How is it first manifest? First in a general concentrated form where all of these individual entities all come together as one. But the eye cannot receive. It's too powerful. It's too concentrated. Only the mind can receive this general concentrated energy and sense the whole. And from there, it's drawn from the mind, from like Grand Central Station, it's drawn the each individual energy. Energy that the brain could receive and the heart could receive and the eyes could receive without overwhelming the eye. It's like if the ocean came, if you wanted a cup of water, and you had the ocean come roaring through your sink, you know, you wouldn't get a cup of water, you would drown. So the ocean, the reservoirs to be reduced through pipes, and it comes out a little trickle from this huge reservoir, you get this little trickle of water that you can receive in your cup. The eye is a cup. How do you get from this soul so powerful, so intense, the sun? It has to leave the sun. Like the light has to leave the sun. It's only when the light leaves the sun, that's when the light is beneficial and the light is productive. So when, when first the energy comes in a concentrated form, it's like a sun, it's too intense. Only the brain could receive this sense of the whole. And from there, each individual organ gets its, its array, a glimmer, a little of this energy that's able to enter and be absorbed by the eye. And the eye is able to take out its ability to see draw out from the soul the ability to see and the eye is able to function and to see. So 
what is this brain? What is the brain of every world? We are, the general energy is first revealed in, con- in a concentrated form. That's what he calls the holy of holies of every world. Every world has a holy of holies. The holy of holies of that world is the center point of the world. Is the brain of that world. All the energy of this world. Where does it come from? The holy of holies of this world. Because all the energy in this world is God. It's all God. There's only one reality. God is the soul. But God revealed his energy in a way that every individual creature should have its own individual energy. But it's all part of one reality. But where does God first reveal himself? Manifest himself in a concentrated form? First in the Holy of Holies. What is the Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies of every world is the brains of every world, which is, as he says, the Torah as it's revealed in that world. The Torah is the Holy of Holies of that world. And the the Torah is the brains of that world. Now, every world, you have different worlds. The world of action, so the Torah of this world, which is the Holy of Holies and the focal point and the center of this world, and all the energy that exists in this world, where does it all originate from? The Torah. The Torah of this world, of the physical world that we live in, that refers to the written Torah which is written in parchment, it's action, it's physical. Most of the Torah is written like stories. It's a story. This is what happened. It's all in the world of action. It takes place, it's revealed and manifests in the world of action. So this is the center point and the focal point of the world of action. Then you have a higher world, spiritual world, the world of formation, the world of the angels, the world of emotions, of pure emotions, pure love, pure awe. What's the center point of that world, of that energy? The holy of holies of that, energy, of that world? That's the Mishnah. Because the Mishnah is basically the explanation, the oral explanation of the 613 mitzvot. And it gives us all the, the, is it obligated or not obligated? You're guilty or you're not guilty? Kosher or not kosher? Yes or no? So these are all like emotional judgments. Positive or negative? Could this be elevated? This is kosher, this is permitted, or it's not permitted. It can't, it can't be elevated. You take a more benevolent approach or you take a stricter approach. This is more like an emotional response, a judgment call that you're making. So this is, this is the attributes, these are the emotional attributes. Emotional attributes, you love or you hate. You're drawn or, you're, or you withdraw. Something is kosher means you're drawn to it, you can elevate it. When you, you say something is not kosher, it means withdraw from it. You're repulsed by it. Run away from it. It's poison. It's no good. So the whole Mishnah really deals with the basic laws. And these, one of these two options. Kosher, not kosher. Pure, impure. Obligated, not obligated. Guilty, not guilty. So this is the world of emotions. So the Torah, as it's manifest in the Mishnah, in the brains, as it's manifest in the Mishnah, that's the brain of this world, of the world of formation. And that's the holy of holies, the center point of this world of formation. And all the energy of this world comes from the Mishnah. So all the angels of the world of formation, where do they get their energy from? When a Jew studies Mishnah, he is giving energy to the whole world of formation. 
When a Jew studies Torah, he gives energy to the whole world of, of this world. And then the, you have a higher world, the world of creation, which is the world of pure intellect. The purest intellect. Maimonides, with his intellect, reached the level of the world of creation. We're able to see the bigger picture, and you're able to penetrate and to see, to penetrate, and to understand something at its very basic, at its very core. What's the center point of the world of creation? What's its holy of holies? How the, where the, the divine energy is first manifest? That's the Talmud. Because the Talmud delves into the reasons behind all the laws. The Mishnah states very briefly, the halacha, the laws, kosher, not kosher. One paragraph in the Mishnah could be 12 pages in the Talmud, explaining, expounding, understanding in depth. So this is the world of creation. It's the world of intellect. And what's the center point of this world of intellect? What's the holy of holies? Where's God's first manifest in the world of intellect? In the Talmud, as it's revealed to us. The Talmud, as the Talmud discusses agriculture, as the Talmud discusses civil laws, the Talmud, as it's revealed to us, as it discusses all these ideas. This is the idea of the Kodesh HaKadosh, the Holy of Holies, which is the brains. But then he says that the Shechina is known in the Kabbalah as the world of Malchus. Malchus is the lowest level in every world. Not the highest level, it's the lowest level in every world. Malchus, other words for Malchus, as he explained earlier, is speech. It's just like speech within a person is the lowest level within the person. Speech, you're revealing to others what's going on inside of you. What you're feeling, what you're thinking. So speech is the point of contact between you and someone outside of you. So it's really not for yourself, it's completely for the other person. Or the or a king, a king, royalty. Royalty, the person, the king who's king, doesn't add anything to him if he's a king. He's not a king. It's not like he grows an extra finger because he's a king. A king means nothing to him. If he is king, he's not king. It doesn't add anything to the person. It's completely his relationship to those outside of him. They make him a king, so he's a king. You can't be king over yourself. Right? Who makes you successful in business? You don't make yourself self-successful. If customers buy your product, you're successful. If customers don't buy your product, you're out of business. No matter how brilliant and talented you are. You don't, it's not something within you, it's something outside of you. So royalty, speech, or like the light of the sun, outside of the sun, these are all different interchangeable analogies or a name. You don't need a name for yourself. A name is a label, a handle. Someone else gives you a name. You need it for other people to be able to identify you, to categorize you, to identify you. You don't need it for yourself. It doesn't add anything to yourself. You can go through your whole life and not have a name. Are you missing anything? Like you're missing an eye, you're missing a finger. I don't have a name, so <laughs> what, what, what happened? It's not part of you. It's completely external to you. It's a name, it's a handle, a label that other people can identify. All of these words are interchangeable for the world of Malchus, which is the Shechina. God manifests himself, reveals himself to us. So here we said that God's manifestation is first in the brain. 
And then we're saying that God's manifestation is Malchus. So which one is it? Is God's manifestation Chabad, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, like we just said at great length, that the point of every world, the holy of holies of every world, the central point where all this concentrated energy of that world is concentrated first, is primarily in the brain, in the Torah of that world, and that level. Every world has its level of Torah. And the essence of that level is captured in the Torah of that level, whether it's the Mishnah, it's the Talmud, or it's the, the written Torah, or it's the Shechina Malchus, royalty, God's speech, the lowest level of the world. So he says, the explanation is, that the level of Malchus in the higher world is manifest in the brain of the lower world, in the Chabad of the lower world. And what that means, in simple terms, like you said earlier, what happens when a person sleeps? When we wake up in the morning, we say, I thank you, Hashem, you who are the king who is alive and is eternal, lasts forever. Why am I thanking you? I am thanking you, you return to me my soul, even though I don't deserve it. How great is your faithfulness? Because you promised. We delivered our soul to you at night. Our soul is tired, exhausted. It's like we give our suit to the cleaners, wrinkled, crumpled, and it comes back like brand new, fresh. Wake up in the morning, brand new, fresh, ready to go. We gave our soul to God, all wrinkled and crumpled and exhausted and tired. And he promises to return our soul. Now, does God have to return his soul to us? Don't we owe him? <laughs> we owe him so much. That we may be guilty for so much. And yet he promises, no matter what, even if you're guilty, we owe God so much. God in his kindness returns our soul, even if we're wicked, even no matter what happens, fresh, brand new. He keeps his word. That's a simple meaning of Rabba Munasecha. Deeper meaning is that great is your faith. This restores our faith, this strengthens our faith in the ultimate resurrection of the dead. Because every morning we wake up, it's a miniature resurrection. Because when a person sleeps, the Talmud says it's one sixtieth of death. One sixtieth of death. See, body is like a corpse. You're dead when you're asleep. Some people when they sleep, they're like really dead. Nothing can wake them up. Your body is like a corpse. You have eyes, you don't see. You have ears, you don't hear. It's like you're not there. Your soul is gone. You're there. All your, your eyes are there. It's not functioning. Your ears are there. It's not happening. You're like dead. Because consciously, your conscious self is gone. Subconsciously, you're alive. And it's interesting, the Talmud says only one sixtieth of death. One sixtieth. You know what that means? That your conscious self, this part of us that we're conscious of, I'm walking and I'm talking and I'm thinking and I'm understanding and I'm feeling and I see and I hear and I taste and I touch and I smell. We're so busy, we're so active. All of this 
is one fragment of who we are. One sixtieth. Our whole conscious self is just the tip of the tip of the iceberg of who we really are. You think that your body stops when you're sleeping? You know how infinitely complex your body is? You know how many processes go on and simultaneously every split second? Millions, billions of events happen in your body simultaneously in one split second. And we're totally unselfconscious of it. We have no idea what happens. We ate today. Do we have any idea, any clue how the body digests it? You know what a complex activity, the, the, uh, the digestive processes. Every part within us, it just happens unselfconsciously. The body regulates itself, keeps the temperature going, constantly adjusting. It's, there's so many things happening, and it's so exquisite. The body is delivering like thousands of the most exquisite drugs to every organ in the body simultaneously. Exactly what we need. All of this happens when you're asleep, you're not asleep. When you're awake, when you're awake, you're not aware of what's going on. And when you're asleep, it doesn't, it doesn't stop. So there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. So the whole part that we're conscious of, it really comes, is really just a fragment of who we really are. So it's the lowest level of the higher world, the malchus of the higher world, the level of speech, of communication, the most external, superficial level of the higher realm. This becomes the brain. This becomes the consciousness, the beginning of consciousness of the lower world. Yes, it does come from malchus, from the most external, superficial, because the whole consciousness, our whole world of consciousness, whether it's a concentrated form or not in a concentrated form, is just one tiny fragment of who we are. This subconscious is so much beyond that. We are a hundred trillion selves. And they're all busy. <laughs> and they're all functioning so perfectly. You know what you call someone whose body is functioning 99%? We call them dead. The whole, conscious, the whole conscious level, the whole Chabad, where weird is happening, where the highest level of consciousness, the beginning of consciousness, the highest level of consciousness, the Chabad senses the whole, the whole, all of this conscious energy concentrated together. Where does it come from? The Malchus, the lowest level of the higher realm of the subconscious. It's one-sixtieth. When you're asleep, your consciousness is out. One sixtieth of death. Like one little part of you is not functioning. Fifty-nine parts of you are functioning as if it doesn't make any difference. You're awake, you're asleep. It happens anyway, unselfconsciously. You have no clue what's going on. It has nothing to do with you. Your brain couldn't even process it, even if it doesn't even have the brain power. To, it, 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 your conscious brain couldn't even process it. To make a computer, to be able to process what's going on in the body, there's no computer. If they, to, if they filled up earth with computers, it wouldn't be enough to be able to process the infinite complexity that happens in the body every split second. It's, it's off the charts. And we are blissfully unaware. A doctor in the medical profession could appreciate the infinite vastness of the body. 
all a doctor does is he can help the body, maybe help the body a little, help itself. But the miracle of, of healing, the body heals itself. The body has this infinite capacity of, of regenerating, of healing. It's not we heal. You know, everything that we do mechanically is just really just to trigger, to spark the body to really heal itself. And the true healer is in awe of the miracle of the body healing. The body healing itself. It's infinite capacity that Hashem gave to the body to, re- to regenerate. And we are living proof of this infinite capacity of the body. Because despite the fact we live in an age where we're bombarded with so much junk, <laughs> drunk food, and despite everything that we breathe and everything that we eat and everything that we drink, thank God we're blissfully unaware. <laughs> Most of us are blissfully unaware of the of to what extent the junk is. And yet the body has such capacity to withstand all this assault. We're constantly assaulted with all this unnatural and this junk that's constantly thrown at us and we digest. And yet the body has its capacity to be healthy and to, to stay healthy and to that it's able to overcome this constant assault from when we're little children. It doesn't stop. It's completely unnatural lifestyle. Completely unnatural food. Food that even, food that sits on shelves for years, that even worms are smart enough not to touch. Because <laughs> it's not food. <laughs> Looks like food, tastes like food, smells like food, but it has nothing to do with food. As a matter of fact, if you read the ingredients that goes into the average product that sits on the shelf, it, it, you need pages and pages and pages of computer, computer. Uh, it's like a computer readout of chemicals you never heard of. These chemicals you won't find in your kitchen, you won't find in your cabinet, kitchen cabinet. Things you wouldn't take into your mouth. Things that they put in paint, the things they put into tar and the rubber. These are the ingredients that goes into all the, the most foods that we eat, and we are assaulted by this day in day out. And yet the body has this infinite capacity to keep us going despite all this constant assault. So the body is so infinitely complex. So the whole conscious world, you know, we think we're in charge and we're in control and we know we're conscious and we know what's going on. It's such habri, it's such... The part that we're in charge of or in control of is such a little part. It's one-sixtieth of what's going on. So the Chabad which is the beginning of consciousness, of that world, what's its source? Its source is the subconscious. The source is the lowest level of the higher realm. And that becomes the source of the lower level, first in a concentrated form, which is revealed in the brains of that world. And from there, from there, through the speech and through the royalty and through the name of the lowest lishkin of, of that world, just like when a person has a concept, the idea is one idea, one concept. When a teacher has a brilliant concept, to the teacher it's one whole idea. But when the teacher has to explain it in words to simple students, 
it's maybe a whole week's lecture with pages upon pages upon pages and words and paragraphs and letters and, and broken down, you know, by the teacher, by the brilliant teacher, the whole book is one word, one concept. But in order to communicate this one concept, this brilliant concept to a level that everyone can understand, it's a whole book with many chapters, with many illustrations broken down into parts, into pieces, in a way that the student could understand it. That's exactly what this is. Right. So that's Malchus. Malchus is the lowest level of every world. The speech of every world takes the Chabad of that world, the singular concept, this brilliant flash, which is one concept, and then breaks it down into words, communicates it into words. But by the time you break it down into words, suddenly it's a whole universe. One concept becomes a whole universe, pages upon pages upon pages upon pages, and chapters and broken down into pieces and into parts. So what starts out as one suddenly becomes very differentiated. So too, how do you get the diversity in every world? How do you get so many diverse and different entities when it's all one energy it all comes from one energy it's God and it's God's energy the way it's first manifested in the, in the brain in a concentrated form so how do you get from this one concentrated energy into such a diverse variety of beings and creatures and entities that's the level of speech that's the level of speech of that world which takes this concentrated energy of Chabad and then by the time it gets to the lowest level, to communication, to speech, you have so many letters and words, and each letter creates another entity, another being. So this is how it goes. We have the level of malchus, the speech of the higher world. That's like the subconscious. From there, it's manifest into the brain, into the beginning of consciousness. And that's when you're first conscious of this whole, as a whole. All of the energy of that conscious world you're conscious of speaking and seeing and hearing. All of that energy is all concentrated together in the brain. But all that concentrated energy is merely the concentrated energy of your conscious self, which is one-sixtieth of, of who you really are, of your soul. It's nothing. Because it's taken from the subconscious, which is the lowest level of the higher world. The level of malchus, the level of speech of the higher world. And that becomes the beginning of consciousness of the lower world. But first, it's in a concentrated form. And then from there, it travels, so to speak, into the lower level, lowest level of that world of consciousness. What's the lowest level of consciousness from the brain to speech? And there, suddenly, that's where you get this whole differentiated, diverse multitude of beings, of creatures, which really all come from the same source, just like the soul. It's one soul that speaks and thinks and walks and talks. So there's one energy, there's one God. God is the soul of all creatures. But from that same energy, God gave each individual entity a special, unique, ent- a unique energy. But where does it all come from? It comes from the level of Malchus. That's the differentiation. But where does that come from? That comes from the Chabad. That comes from the first initial concentration of energy. All that energy is concentrated together. It's too intense, it's like a sun, it's one point. And then, where does that come from? That comes from the subconscious of the previous world, of the higher world. The level of Malchus, the lowest level of the higher world. Because don't forget, this whole conscious world, even in the concentrated form, even the highest form, the center, the point of this world, is merely one-sixtieth. The whole conscious world in relation to the soul, where it comes from, is one little fragment, one little piece. 
So it sources the lowest level of the higher realm. So from Malchus of Atzilus, from the level of, of royalty of a world of emanation, comes from there the Shechina is manifest and the Chabad and the wisdom, understanding and knowledge of the lower level, the world of creation, which is the Holy of Holies of the world of creation, which is the Talmud. And from there the, the energy travels to the lowest level, which is Malchus, which is the speech and communication, the lowest level of the world of creation, which creates all the diverse entities of the world of creation, the infinite amount of angels in the world of creation. And then it, then it continues. The level of Malchus, of the world of creation, is like the subconscious in relation to the lower realm, the lower world of the world of formation. So from there, that becomes the manifestation of this con- intense, concentrated energy of the world of formation, which is the consciousness of the world of formation, which is first manifest in the Chabad, in the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the world of formation, the world of the angels. And we're, what's the Holy of Holies, and what's the center point of that world, the brains of the world of formation? That's the Mishnah. The Mishnah. And from there it travels to the, world of Mal, the level of Malchus, the sphere of Malchus, the speech and communication of that world, of that conscious level of, of, of formation. And that... That's what creates the diversity and the infinite multitude of angels of the world of formation. And the world, the level of Malchus of the world of formation, that becomes, that's manifest, that from there, a 60th of that, a little piece of that, is revealed into the brain, to the mind of the world of action. And that becomes the first manifestation of the consciousness of the world of of action. And that's the Torah, the written Torah, stories of the Torah, the written Torah, the five books of Moshe, the Torah. And from there, the level of Malchus, the level of communication of the conscious world of creation, that creates our world and all the entities in this world. So it's, it's the worlds upon worlds upon worlds upon worlds. The subconscious of the previous world comes manifest in the uh, consciousness of the lower world. And in the consciousness of the lower world, it starts in the brain, but then eventually it comes down to the speech. Because only through the speech, that's where you get the diversity and you get all the multitude of entities. And that level of speech, which is the lowest level of that world, consciousness of that world, that, that's the subconscious in comparison to the lower world, the world below that, and vice versa. So every world has its center. Every world has its point. Every world has its level of shechina. Of Shekhinah. So when you talk about the Shekhinah, God's presence, it depends which world you're talking. Every world has its manifestation of God's presence. So when God's presence is manifest and revealed in a concentrated form, that's the Shekhinah. As he's going to explain, in the temple, that was the Holy of Holies in the temple. That's, that's where God's presence. Where's God's presence in this world? In the Holy of Holies. Now we don't have a Holy of Holies. We don't have a temple. Where's God's presence? In the Torah. When you study Torah, that's where God is present. That's the center point of that world. That's where all the energy of this world is concentrated and manifest as a whole. That's where God is present. That's where God is felt. So if you want to have a visible, conscious connection to God, today, we don't have a temple. Only one way. Study Talmud. Study Mishnah. Study the five books of Moses. Study the Torah, the Torah portion of the week. And study Kabbalah. This is how 
that's where the Shekhinah is present. That's where God is manifest and God is revealed. That's where you sense the unity of all things. That's where you sense the connection, where it all comes together. It's only when you have the point, when you have the Holy of Holies, when you have that you sense the whole, you sense the world is not fragmented. The world is, is one, is one God. And there's one point that connects it all. There's a reason Alter Rebbe left us for the end. <laughs> it's complicated stuff, if you can ask it. Let me ask, uh, if um, what we experience as conscious uh, is 160, how come we never, or how can we never feel the subconscious? I mean, how do you get in touch with the subconscious? We are, we are not equipped, we're not capable. The window to the subconscious is Chachma. Chachma is the creative ability. The creative person has a window to the subconscious. The eureka moment, when you're confounded or confused, and suddenly you get a flash, like a bolt of lightning, a brilliant flash, seemingly out of nowhere. You don't even know where it comes from. Suddenly, I was confounded, I was confused. I have no idea. And suddenly you get the answer. Where did it come from? I don't know. It just popped into my head. What do you mean it popped into your head? It popped in from, from the ear? No, it popped in from here. That tells you that you have a subconscious. You have a whole world inside of you that you're completely oblivious to. So while you are thinking consciously and you are working on the problem consciously, subconsciously, your subconscious is working on the problem. And then there's a communique. There's a, there's a telegram. There's an IM. A communication, a bolt of lightning, a brilliant flash that suddenly illuminates the darkness that comes from your subconscious. That's why it's very exciting. That's why it's so pleasurable. That creative moment, the creative person is the most exciting teacher. You have an analytical teacher who's very brilliant, who can analyze everything and break everything down. But it's not as exciting as your innovative teacher, the creative teacher, because he's getting flashes, communications from his subconscious. He's getting... He's being touched by his soul. He's getting a direct communication from his soul. And that's so exciting and it's so vibrant, so alive. So that's a flash from the subconscious. So that's how we know we have a subconscious. Otherwise, we wouldn't even know we have a subconscious. Um, could we deliberately and consciously access our subconscious? Some people do it naturally. Most people don't do it deliberately and consciously and not even aware that they're doing it. That's an art form, you know. That's the whole revolution of, uh, of the modern, um, of, um, of Freud, you know, that he revealed to the modern world that there is a subconscious. And the challenge is really to access that subconscious. Consciously and deliberately access that subconscious. Um, but it's counterintuitive because our brain is not wired. We're wired to think... crazy, Yeah, that's why a prophet is called crazy, a madman. A prophet is someone who has access to subconscious, doesn't have blinders. He has access, and that's why the society labels him as a madman. Because he is mad, because he doesn't get excited about adults standing with balls and kicking balls. He can't get excited about paying bills, about money, power, fame. He just can't get excited about these things because he has access to subconscious. He has access to reality what's real in life and what's not real in life, to the infinite, to Hashem, you can't get excited about ego things. Society labels, labels him as a madman. He doesn't fit in. What kind of, he's not a normal person. 
Normal people care about their money and their status and their power and their control and their egos and their self and they're very conscious of self and he couldn't care less about ego and couldn't care less about self. The only thing that he cares about is truth and godliness. And he only responds to godly things. So the tzaddik, the prophet, is called a madman. He's not a normal person. He's not an ordinary person. There's something wrong with him. He's not wired like the rest of us. The rest of us are wired, we think, in very conscious terms. Money, words, concepts, limited, finite. It's very hard for us to deliberately and consciously access something that's undefined, something infinite, something subconscious. So our whole world begins and ends with our consciousness. It's pretty impoverished. It's a very narrow band. Just like we see. You know, the whole seeing... The whole world of seeing happens in the narrowest of bands, just like the world of hearing. We hear in the narrowest bands. Animals are able to hear things that we humans can't even hear. We, we access the, 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 the end of the end, the slightest sliver, the lowest, lowest level of seeing or hearing. There's so many thousands of layers beyond that that we can't access. So our whole frame of reference is so narrow. That's why when a person... It has this habri, so arrogant. I'm in charge, and I'm in control, and I figured it out. What well, you figure out? Your whole frame of reference is nothing. Your whole arena, your whole play area is, is you're playing in nothing. As a modern physicist admitted and understand that the whole universe that we comprehend is only 4% of the universe. 4% of the universe. 96% of the the modern scientists will tell you that 96% of the universe we do not comprehend. So it's around 1 60th. <laughs> not only we don't comprehend, we don't, we're not even capable of comprehending. Not only we're not capable of comprehending, we don't even have the tools with which to comprehend. So our whole arena, the whole that we're talking about with such certainty and we're talking about Global warming, not global warming. We talk, we talk about things with a certainty. The world existed billions of years. You're talking about 4%. You're talking about a reality that you barely understand. That you admit that you don't even have the capacity to understand. And you talk with such certainty. Oh, billions of years, trillions of years. This. It's like, get a grip. What do you, who? What do you understand? Your whole understanding is overrated. What do you understand already? What could you understand already? Nothing. A sliver, a tip of, a tip of the iceberg. A little humility. You're dealing with something that's so infinitely complex. And you talk with such arrogance. The Torah says the world is 5,771 years. No. The world is billions of years. Really. Who are you going to believe? God? Who created the world? Or some foolish arrogant person who thinks he understands everything, when he himself admits, if he's honest with himself, that he, he doesn't have the capacity to understand. You're dealing with a reality that's so complex and you talk with such certainties. Oh, yes, 100%. It, 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 it doesn't even make sense. Logically, it doesn't even make sense. A little humility. You, you're approaching a subject that you, you don't even have the capacity to, to approach it. But this is the whole conscious universe, the whole conscious self is very limited. And that's the, na that's the band that we, that we, a very narrow band that we operate in. What have we tried before? Where we 
Ah, so when you learn Torah, when you learn Torah, when you connect to the Holy of Holies, when you connect to the center of every world, when you connect to the center of every world, you're connecting to the Shekhinah. You're connecting to God's manifestation. Where God is manifest, and everything comes together, and everything is connected. So Hashem put us in charge, and put us in control. We are in the driver's seat. You want the world to be a healthy world? You want the energy to flow? You better study your Torah. Because the whole world depends on your studying Torah. You are in the driver's seat. Kalman is in the driver's seat. But we are. Hashem gives us only the amount of knowledge equal to our righteousness. So since most of us never get out of the mud, so to speak, so then we're limited forever to the knowledge that we're going to acquire. Hashem gives us knowledge and. <laughs> Even not limited to our righteousness, it gives, no us, gives us knowledge limited to our ability. There are some people who they could only comprehend the written Torah, they don't have the capacity to understand the mission. Then you have certain people who God gave a greater capacity, they have a capacity also to understand and study the mission. You have people who have a greater capacity and they have a capacity to stand to understand the Talmud. According to their righteousness. According to their brain power that God gave them, their abilities. And they have certain people that God gave them the ability to understand the Kabbalah. So everyone, according to their abilities, has to study the Torah on their level. Torah has to engage you. When Torah engages you and you're studying Torah on your level, honestly, on your level, when Torah challenges you and challenges, engages your mind, fully engages your mind, everyone on their own level, so then you are studying Torah. You're connecting to the Holy of Holies. You are connecting to the center of reality, and you are connecting the whole world. You are in the driver's seat. You're drawing down energy to the whole world. So every one of us is in the driver's seat, and we have a, a responsibility and a privilege to make sure that the world is vibrant and healthy and is getting all the nourishment that it needs. And that's why when you study Torah, you bring down blessings. Well, it's a is, consequence. What is time here? In reference to what you said uh, Mishnah. Well, what Tanya, is that for? Tanya is the essence of the Torah. Tanya reveals to us what happens when you study the Talmud, when you study the Mishnah. Without the Tanya, you wouldn't realize all of this. Did you ever realize without the Tanya that you're in the driver's seat? That the whole world depends on your studying Torah? And that what studying Torah is, and Torah is God's Shekhinah, God's manifestation. All the energy of that world is concentrated in a revealed form, in a very intense form, through the Torah. Torah is the, is the center point of that world. It connects the whole world together. Suddenly the, it comes alive. Suddenly the idea of studying Torah, and the power of studying Torah, suddenly it all comes alive. The idea of the Shekhinah comes alive to you. Tanya gets into your bones, it gets into your being, it gets into your kishkis. Chassidus is the essence. It makes everything come alive. It's, it becomes part of you. It becomes part of your being. It becomes part of your foundation. Judaism is not just something that you do. It's not, it's not just rituals. You're not just going through the motions. Judaism becomes part of your being. It's your essence. That's what Chassidus does. Chassidus lights that fire. It switches the light on. Suddenly it's beautiful, it's clear, and and it's me. I want to study Torah. It's, it's part like of me. An explanation, actually. 
really. What? It's like an explanation of what, what right. how you grasp what you're doing. Right. It makes everything come alive. So to follow up on Kalman, um, I mean, uh, what about uh, my descendants, uh, you know, before the Tanya, you know, my great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, I mean, he was Jewish, so, and he didn't have the Tanya, and he was, uh, you know, a simple Jew in a village and all that. I mean, he could never experience this? I wouldn't get to his bones and Kishka and all that? Well, if he was righteous, he did reach, he could reach higher yeah, levels. but the rabbi's saying it's based on knowledge. It's not just well, based on, on, uh, on, on brains. On one level, they had healthy instincts. So instinctively, they just had healthy instincts. You know, when our ancestors, when they spoke about Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden, the world to come, they weren't thinking of it in egotistical terms. I'm going to worship God, so in order I should get a reward. They were thinking of it in the purest form, because they wanted to worship God. Uh, but it the, was really like a very elite group of people who could. No, but instinct, uh, instinctively, they or they all had this 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 connection. But in our day and age, Hasidus spells it out. It yeah. it articulates it. It spells it out, and suddenly becomes clear because today everything needs to be spelled out. If it's not spelled out, you're lost. Look at the proof. Jews who don't study Hasidus, well-meaning, sincere, well-intentioned, and like you went, you went to that conference. It's, it's pathetic. It's pretty sad. Because if it's not spelled out, it's not articulate, you're like lost. You really, you really, you're lost. It's wrote that our Zadis were not lost no. because they had the instinct. No, they had the instinct and they were passionate Jews. That's why we survived 3,800 years. You think they would have survived 3,800 years if Chachma was in the heart? <laughs> you, think, you think with such nonsense they would have survived 3,800 years? I mean, they survived because it was real. It was alive for them. They knew it instinctively. But today, everything has to be spelled out and articulated. And that's, that's the Hasidus. But that's a, that's a whole separate discussion. Let's see if we can finish the chapter. <laughs> Page 794 in the bottom. By virtue of the clothing of Malchut, of Atzilat, in Malchut of Baria, it then clothes itself in the shrine of the Holy of Holies, of, of Yitzhera. This being Chabad, of Yitzhera, the Chachma Binad and Dat of Yitzhera, is, it is in the manner that the Shekhinah of the Malchut of Atzilat ultimately comes to reside in the world of Yitzhera. See, earlier he said, as we discussed at great length, that the, the lowest level of the higher world, which is like the subconscious of the lower world, the lowest level of the higher world is the subconscious of the lower world is beyond the reach of the lower world. Malchus of Atzillus, the level of speech of Malchus Atzillus, in comparison to Chabad, the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, is a conscious world of Bria, of creation, that the lowest level is like a subconscious, it's completely beyond the grasp. And from there, the Shekhinah is manifest in the world of Chachma Binadah's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And then, from there, from wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, the highest level of consciousness, which is the brain, from there comes the lowest level of consciousness, which is speech, 
And from there, the energy is differentiated and dispersed into the different entities and creatures and brings about all these different entities and creatures. That's like speech that takes the single point of understanding and breaks it down into, into a whole universe of words and letters. And therefore, you get a whole universe of beings, of entities. But really, it's all connected to one point as it's manifest in the brain. So it's from the world of, of, of the Shekhinah, of the higher world, is manifest in the Chabad of the lower world, which is then manifest in the Shekhinah of that world, of speech of that world, world of that world, which brings about all the creatures of that world. Here the Alter Rebbe says that the whole Torah, every level of the Torah, all comes from the world of emanation. The Mishnah, the stories in the Torah, the Talmud, that all comes from the world of, of, of the Shekhinah, God's manifestation of the world of emanation, the divine world of emanation. But when the divine emanation of, the, of Shekhinah, of a world of emanation, wants to manifest itself in the world of formation, in the Mishnah, so he says so there's a direct a direct enclothing. First it encloses itself in the level of malchus and the subconscious and the speech of the world of creation. And from there it's manifest in the world of formation. Because since the purpose of this clothing itself is not for the world of creation. It's just bypassing the world of creation. It's just, it's really the purpose is to reveal itself in the world of formation. But it can't just directly go through the world of formation. So first it has to stop and enclose itself in the world of creation. And from there it can manifest itself in the world of formation. So therefore, Al-Durabi says like he bypasses the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, the brain of the world of creation. Because it's not about creation here. It's, all, it's about reaching the world of formation. But in order to get to the world of formation, it has to concentrate itself in order that it should be able to be received in the world of formation. So it has to enclose itself in the level of speech of the world of, cre- of creation. But that's a direct communication from the world of, of emanation. Anyway, this is, a <laughs> this is an advanced note. So just make a note. If you want to study it at a greater length, you can study it at the note. You mean studying it by ourselves? (laughs) No, come to the Kolel. And the Kolel voice will explain it. In other words, when this question will bother you, (laughs) this discrepancy between what Al-Durabi just said here and what he said earlier in the chapter. Earlier in the chapter, he said that the, the, the level of Malchus the higher world first has to manifest itself in the world of in the brains of the lower world and from there it's manifest in the speech of, of that world and from there you get all the different creatures of that world all the different creations of that world and here he says that the level of speech of the higher world bypasses the wisdom understanding and knowledge of the next world goes directly it manifests in the level of speech of the lower world and from there it's manifest into the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge of the world following that. So if you want to understand that discrepancy, if that discrepancy bothers you, then you'll look at note 9, and the Rebbe explains that, that discrepancy. So you know what, maybe... Um,
Okay, we'll try next week. Maybe we can explain the, the note. Explain the note. It'll take 14 pages. <laughs> <laughs> See, why aren't we all on the same level of receiving the information? I mean, why do we have such difficulty? And yet you, you understand it. Who says I understand it? <laughs> why, 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 is, why are you suspecting you someone got innocent? Us, you got us fooled. <laughs> You're accusing me. You got us fooled. <laughs> Do you keep on learning every time you, you personally learn every time yes. you teach the class? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, he learns from the questions. Questions are what... It, it, it's two ways, you're right. In, in right. It, it's two ways. Firstly, when you prepare a class, even if you teach a rule, whenever you teach anything, even if you're teaching something that you know, if you're not learning, you can't teach. You have to prepare on your own level, you know, what you, know, what you consider preparing on your own level is if you were learning for yourself, you know, that it's challenging to you and that you have to, you have to learn. Even if you're teaching very simple, but if you're not learning it, if it it's, not, it's not real teaching. That's in the preparation. But then in the actual delivery, the students bring out the best. As Kalman says, Tamburic Rabbi said, I learned a lot from my teachers. I learned even more from my colleagues, but I learned the most from my students. Because when they stump you, when they ask you questions, and you realize that you thought you understood it, but if you can't explain it, <laughs> obviously you don't understand it. So if I, can't, if I can't explain the note, obviously I don't understand it myself. That's what I mean. <laughs> the, the, the deliverance, I think. Right, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. That's where I got the Which I think is... Out. <laughs> so this is a never-ending learning process. Oh, it's never-ending. Learning is never-ending. The more you learn, yeah. the more you realize how little you know. And the hungrier you get, and the more your appetite grows. That's a sign of real learning. <coughs> the moment you feel you learned, you closed it, you walk away, I know it. You know, a, a fruit that's ripe falls off the tree, becomes completely disconnected. A Torah scholar in Judaism is called, the Torah is called a Talmud Chacham. He's a student of wisdom. The moment he thinks he's wisdom, he's wise, he's lost. When he's a, the more you learn, the more you, you become open. I'm a student of wisdom. The hungrier you get, the more you realize how much more there is to learn, how little you understand. There's so much depth. There's so much infinite depth. There's God's mind. God is infinite. Every word, every letter in the Torah has such infinite depth. And it, it can change your life. It, it, it sinks in. It, can, it touches your guts. It touches your being. It, it talks about re reality, real life. It's not just abstract, irrelevant information and knowledge. This is not modern physics or science. This is reality. This is life. So, especially when you study Hasidut, when you study other parts in the Torah, it's harder to see the relevance. But when you study Hasidus, it makes it come alive. You immediately see the relevance and personal, and it really gets, it sinks right in. It, it lights a fire, it connects, you connect with it. It, it inspires you, it elevates you, it moves you, it touches you, it stimulates you, it challenges you uplifts you. So that's the power of Hasidus. So we have a few minutes for questions. And next week, next, hopefully, we'll finish the chapter. <laughs> He's using Kabbalah terminology, but it, this is Hasidus.
Okay, but I mean it's on the level. He's explaining the concept of Shekhinah, but he's, he's explaining it using Kabbalah terminology, the world, the different levels of the world and the Sfirot. But, um, but he's talking about reality. This is reality. This is life. So this is the Shekhinah. So did you ever realize how much power you have when you study Torah? You're in the driver's seat. Only if you understand it. Well, it's interesting because, like, uh, some of the earlier chapters were easier to understand than than this chapter. You know, this is, these are more like climaxes, and you think that somehow these <laughs> they will put it all together. But yet, uh, it's a, it's challenging us. That's why I said Kabbalah. This does put it all together because what he's saying here is in these last three chapters, he's really explaining why Chabad is so primary, why wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, which is the name of the Chabad movement, is so primary, why engaging the mind is so primary, why Torah is so primary. You can't just go on feelings, because a lot of the other Hasidic groups, um, it was all about feelings, emotions, inspirations. The Alter Rebbe concludes on a high note, explaining, no, where is God manifest? If you want to connect, where is God? Where is the Shekhinah manifest? In the mind. You know, it's true. Every organ in the body is, is equal and every cell in the body receives energy and every organ in the body is indispensable. But you don't walk on your head. The head is the leader. Because the head, the brain is where the soul is manifest. That's The brain senses the whole. Not the heart, the brain. The whole. So, this is primary. If you want to connect with Hashem, the oil, you need oil to nourish your neshama, to nourish your faith, you need oil. And that's what he's explaining. What's the oil? Oil is connected with the brain, with Torah. So, Torah is primary. This is the Chabad approach. Not touchy-feely emotions, inspiration, devoid of any foundation in Chabad, and wisdom, understanding, and the deep understanding, a penetrating understanding, engaging the mind, engaging the Torah in a very deep way, profound way. So this is, this is really what he's concluding. He's bringing it all together. How it, it's the action. The action has to be connected to the Torah. Torah is primary. It's not incidental. It's not just a detail. Okay, let's throw in a little Torah for, for good sake. We have a little extra minute between an inspiration here and an inspiration there. Okay, we'll throw in a nice veltel, a nice little word, a nice thought. No, this is, this is where it all comes from. This is where the energy comes from. This is the command and control center. This is, the, this is Grand Central. This is, where you, this is where it all comes from. Torah. This is the driver's seat. This is, this, is, this is the holy of holies. This is the center of every world. This is the point. This is the connection. This is what brings it all together. So he's explaining why you have to, why, why do you need 53 chapters? Just be inspired and that's it. Hear a nice story. Get a shot of inspiration. <clears throat> Your heart is on fire, inflamed. Close your eyes and dance in ecstasy. 
What more do you need? Ecstasy, inspiration. Why, why do I have to sit and study and break my head and uh, trying to understand and trying to absorb and trying to meditate and reflect and digest? Get straight to the point. Get to the heart. Feel, dance, sing, clap your hands, join hands and dance. Let's all do a horror. So he says, no. <laughs> you need power. Rabbi, what, wasn't all the previous learning supposedly to make this more, more understandable? And it's working in reverse. <laughs> well, Alter Rebbe hopes that by the time you reach chapter 51 and 52 and 53, if we heard the other 50 chapters, and we should understand this. And then he hopes, yes. He doesn't start with chapter 51 and 52, 52. But after learning 50 chapters and the introduction, first the, the page, the introductory page, and the introduction, and 50 chapters, Al-Tarebi believes that we're ready to move up a little. <laughs> so yes, this is very, very complex. And uh, it engages, definitely engages the mind to understand this very clearly, crystal clear. And most importantly, how this connects to our lives, how this inspires us and how this moves us, touches us. Because once you understand it, you'll never look at life the same. You know, you'll understand things differently. You never look at the Torah the same. You never look at the, the relationship of the Torah to the whole world the same. It's not like you have a world and you have a Torah. It's like compartmentalized. Torah, that's the center of the world. This Torah is the holy of holies of the world. Torah is where all that life force, all that energy that's distributed throughout the world, that's where it all comes from. Suddenly the relationship of Torah to the world, to life, it's a whole different thing. It's not like Torah is in a bookshelf, in a corner, certain pockets divorced from reality, something you read Shabbos morning, Saturday morning on an unearthly hour. Torah, this is the center of life. This is the center of the world. This is, this is, what, this is what makes sense of it, the whole thing. This is what connects the whole thing. So once you understand and you learn these three chapters, you'll never look at the Torah the same way. You'll never approach the Torah the same You'll seek out in the Torah to understand. You want to understand your life. You want to be centered and grounded and centered. It's only through Torah. There is no other way. That's the oil that fuels the fire. This is the energy. But this is the energy they're all looking for. That you, you, you put in a little and you get out a lot more. You know, it's, it's, it's the machine that never ends. You know, this is energy that, that's infinite. This is not peak energy. There's no, it's inexhaustible. The more energy you pour, it's, it's, it goes, and it's clean energy. <laughs> Green energy. <laughs> but this is the energy. Oil, oil, that's the energy. Without energy, nothing happens. Without energy, there's no, there's no fire, there's no, there's no life. So the oil, the energy, this is the Torah. This is the Torah. This is the fuel. This is the fuel. Without the fuel, there's nothing can't have without fuel. Inspiration without fuel doesn't work. Not really. I mean, sometimes you would think that um, it's speech 
that's the highest level. You know, in other words, the ability to articulate thoughts and all of that. But yet, we're saying it's the lowest level. It is the lowest level. If, you, if you're living alone. I mean, if you can't articulate no, but you can understand it. You can you can understand things very clearly, and you don't have to explain it. I mean, you don't have to talk. If there's no one else to talk to. Who are you going to talk to? There's no need to talk. And if you don't talk, it means you don't understand. I can understand. So like uh, last week on Shabbos, that uh, it's important to articulate. You know, where the the people who but keep it to themselves. You know, that, that's because of the body. But for the soul, as a matter of fact, the intellectual the intellectual lives in the ivory tower. He finds people a distraction. He likes to live in isolation. He can think quietly, meditate. Likes to live in the forest. Nobody, nobody to disturb him. He can sit and think and write. And you know, uh, he's not. He finds social company actually a hindrance. <laughs> People it can be a hindrance. He wants quiet. He's to, he doesn't need anyone. The intellectual can entertain himself. The sociable person, he's lost without people. He thrives on people. His interaction with people, social life. The intellectual doesn't need anyone. The intellectual entertains himself. Just give him a book, lock the door, and he's happy. <laughs> See him a week later, <laughs> he's happy. He doesn't need anyone. People are a distraction. So the brain doesn't really need to talk. It sits very happy, reading, quiet, thinking, contemplating. That's why speech is a lower level. Right. That's why speech is the most external level. It's your interaction with those outside of you. To be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.